and well met, my droog. It is your friend and humble narrator, Lou Brutus, and you are listening to the Night Nerd. Nerds rule! Jocks drool. Welcome to the Night Nerd Podcast. I'm your host, Lance, and today we have something very special for you. All week we've been talking about Sonic Warrior, the new book from Lou Brutus. We've looked at musicians creating video games. We've looked at them jumping from one career to another, you know, comic book writing and everything. And it's all because of Sonic Warrior. I gave you my full review on Thursday's episode. Spoilers, I loved it. I love the book. It's amazing. It's just a lot of fun and something to take your mind off of the more serious things in life. But today, we have the man himself, Lou Brutus, on the show. I was able to sit down and talk with Lou for a while, and I can tell you he is genuinely one of the nicest people I've ever had the chance to talk to, not just on the show, but in life. Make sure you go pick up your copy of Sonic Warrior, available everywhere books are sold now. And here is my interview with Lou Brutus. All right, we're here with Lou Brutus, writer of Sonic Warrior, available out there and everywhere now. Lou, how are you doing, sir? I am doing uh, really, really good. Um, I'm glad to have the book out, even if it did drop in the middle of a global pandemic. Um you know, as you and I discussed before we started here, the the book was scheduled to come out on April the 14th, and that had been on the schedule for months and months and months. And even if I had wanted to change the date, there's no way I could have. Once those things are set in motion with the books at the printer and the printer shipping to the distributor, I'd like all this stuff behind the scenes. It, it was coming pandemic or not. Um, so there's nothing I could do about it. But one thing a number of people have pointed out, and, and it's been kind of interesting, the book, which is a collection of crazy stories from my career as I've worked nationally syndicated for close to a quarter of a century and with Sirius XM for close to 20 years, um, I, I think maybe people need a break from all the bad news and, you know, maybe my crazy rock and roll memoir will, uh, will fit the bill, um, you know, I... The reaction seems that that's the case, but uh, if it's making people extra happy by getting their mind off everything happening, then then that makes me happy. So, yeah, I I really enjoyed it, and you know, talking about that, you can almost look at it like you're going to release it like a record. You know, the album comes out, and then the band goes out on tour to support the new album. So this will give everybody a chance to read it, and then if you do get to make it out and do book signings and appearances and things, it's just like going on tour and supporting a new record. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you say it like that. You're the first person in, in all of the press I've been doing of late who's who's described it like that, and that's really the way that I approached it. Uh, it it's like a band releasing a record. And uh, again, I'm, I'm around bands in the music industry since I'm, you know, 12 or 13 years old, uh, and, and I've been doing it virtually my entire life then. Um, I thought, gee, you know, I'm going to go out on tour, so there'll be book tour stuff. And, and the book tour dates, you know, it's unfortunate that they are now postponed because of everything going on. But 
you know, my plan is to be on the road for this for two to three years where, hey, you know, for these four days, I'll go to the Pacific Northwest. And then a couple of weeks later, I'll go down to Florida and do four or five markets down there and sort of vector my way around the U.S. and Canada. And apparently the book uh, has been doing really well in Europe and we're not even marketing it over there. So, um, so yeah, I'll be out on tour in that respect once the coast is clear. But in addition to that, you know, there's there's all of the online stuff and all the graphics and, uh, you know, the Facebook live events and Instagram live events I've been doing that I've actually leaned on heavier since I can't go out in person to uh, go out and do signings and go out and do readings. Uh, you know, I've, I've developed more of a, an online strategy for now and, and it's worked out great and people enjoy the readings and, uh, you know, I, um, along with being on the radio for decades, I've, I've also done a ton of photography, and um, you know I've had a ton of things published. But uh, I have access to great photo equipment and great lighting. So even here in my home studio, which I normally don't use as like a visual studio, uh, I'm, I'm able to do kind of cool stuff and questions and answers with the uh, uh, with the audience and, and with the book buyers and everything. So you know. It's not the way I had it pictured in my head three months ago, how the release would go. But, you know, you play the cards that you're dealt with. And, uh, you know, the other analogy that gets used is, you know, when life gives you lemons, make, make some fucking awesome lemonade. You know, and that's that's all you can do. That, that's what life is. You, you turn negatives into positives. If, if you can figure out how to do that on a fairly good average, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure you, you have a good chance of having a good life, let alone a, a career as a, you know, media person and writer like, like I've been doing. And with the Facebook Live and stuff, you know, an advantage of that is a lot of people, like the market I live in, we rarely get even the national touring concerts and we never get art or you know writers on book tours i had to fly 12 or not 12 hours it would have been a 12 hour drive i had to fly to new orleans to meet chuck Polnick. so you know people in markets like mine may not get to hear you read the book or get to have that interaction and now you're able to open up to all these smaller markets that for unfortunate reasons you know you might not have be a stop on the tour yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter where folks are. I mean, anybody who has any sort of an interest in music, um, I think is able to, to sort of envision themselves in, in my shoes, uh, in, in all these crazy stories, you know, uh, for each chapter of the book. Um, and yeah, a lot of them can't regularly get to concerts. So, you know, they, they, they kind of in an extra way, live vicariously through you, which is, I, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to get to do what I do. Like, I'm like one of the luckiest people I've ever heard about uh, in my entire life. Um, and I, I'm not saying that trying to be like cool or something. It's just stuff that I hear from people every day. And it just reminds me to be thankful of, of all of the the stuff I get to do between the, the rock and roll stuff and the photography and the traveling and the events that that artists invite me to host for them or, or work with them on. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a 24 seven rock and roll wonderland in some ways. It's a lot harder behind the scenes than that, but uh, you know, I, I still get to have fun. And the most important thing, particularly with the artist interaction, but with, with, with all the folks that I've gotten to work with through my career over these last few decades, I, I work around interesting and creative people. 
you know, everybody's got an interesting story and, and everybody's smart and they're problem solvers and they come up with cool, interesting shit. Those are the people you want to be around, you know? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm never the smartest person in any group, but at least I'm, I'm, you know, I try to be smart enough to keep my fat mouth shut and let, you know, other people say stuff so I can learn from them and, and experience things through them. So, uh, uh, and, you know, part of that was finally getting around to do a book. Um, the foreword for the book is written by Corey Taylor. And for those who are, you know, unfamiliar with, you know, the things that I've done, my syndicated show, Hard Drive, which is a weekend show, and the five-night-a-week version, Hard Drive XL, the origins of the show go back almost 25 years. So I've been the first to introduce radio listeners around the U.S. and other parts of the world to bands like Slipknot, Avenged Sevenfold, uh, Hailstorm, Seven Dust, Stone Sour, like this long list of all these incredible hard rock bands. Uh, and many of them I've become very friendly with and I travel with. And, and again, this is where a lot of the stories in the book come out of. Um, but it was Corey Taylor who not only wrote the foreword, was one of the people really responsible for making sure that I got up off my lazy ass and, and finished the book. Because, uh, you know, he and I, through all the years that we've known one another, you know, we're, we're always trading stories. And, you know, I'm older than he is. So that means I've seen a lot more bands uh, in uh, th than he has in you know in terms of bands that you know maybe stopped touring by the time he was ready to to, to start seeing shows. Um, and for as much as we bust one another's balls about things, he very seriously sat me down a few times and said, "Listen, you have got to write a book. You have great stories. You've been around all of these artists. You've had intimate relationships with them all these years. Write your book." And I finally, you know, good-naturedly one day said, oh, you know, I'll write the fucking book. You're going to write the fucking forward, though. He's like, fuck you, I'll write the fucking forward. You just write the fucking book already. <laughs> and it was about a year and a half ago. Uh, he came to me and said, well, where the hell's the book at? I, I got the forward. It's in my head. It's ready to go. And, you know, I, I started saying, well, you know, there's more stories I want to put in the book. I, maybe I should make it longer. And he looked at me like I was the dumbest guy on the planet and said, you idiot, you just write another fucking book after this one. Um, so, uh, uh, I, I finally finished it up and he delivered the foreword and it was great. And, uh, and now it's finally all out. And, uh, uh, again, like I said, the reaction has been, um, I'm, I'm pleasantly shocked by the sales and, and by the reviews and just by the overall reaction people have given it. It's just, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty awesome. But if it were not for Corey, I'm sure the book would never have gotten done or it'd be halfway half-assed by now you know and 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 not a finished product out there in the world yeah i i really enjoyed it but i want to talk about the next part right after Corey's introduction you have a little kind of intro where you lay the ground rules and talk about different who, who positions what yeah and you, you're giving away some of my trade secrets man so i <laughs> i i'm a guppy compared to your well but i know a few bands and i always target the Rhythm guitarist and the bass player, because nobody's ever talking to them. They're the ones you can go talk to and like get a good in. And here you are saying, "Hey, go talk to the rhythm and the bass player." I was like, "Damn it, <laughs> Luke. like Russell Hammond. Here I am telling my secrets to the one guy you shouldn't tell secrets to." Uh, yeah, for the, the session you're, you're uh, referring to is um, uh, well, it's called the overture. Who does what? 
and uh, I do a paragraph on, I, you know, I don't know, 15 or 20 different jobs in the rock and roll world. And it starts with lead singer and then lead guitarist, and it gets into record company people, tour managers, crew people, roadies. And part of it was, it was fun and, and uh, it was fun to write that section. And, and uh, hopefully it's really funny, but also it really is. I, I, I want the book, you know, I've always wanted the book, even though it's funny and goofy and crazy in places. I also want it to be very informative and very like brutally honest about what the rock and roll world is like behind the scenes. Because, again, there's this sort of myth about what goes on and these rumors of what it's like. And I wanted my book to actually say what it's like for real. Um, and and so that portion of the book does a few things. It sort of gives you a goofy idea of who does what. That also makes the storytelling later in the book easier because then people know what a tour manager does or they know what a record rep does. And they, they I don't have to explain it to them in every chapter. You sort of lay it out in the beginning and it lays the groundwork for the rest of the book and, and it just makes the sort of the narrative that goes on in each one of the chapters uh, uh, a lot easier. But you are not the first one to point it out, but you're the first one you're the first radio media person who's gone like, dude, you're fucking us all up here, you know? But so, somebody was bound to do it, so I beat everybody I beat everybody to the punch. Yeah, I was reading that part, and I was like, oh, now everybody knows. Brutus, you dick! <laughs> oh, but, you know, it. like you said, it's, Shakespeare does the same thing. You know, he introduces his characters at the first, so that way you can just roll through the play. So there's kind of a weirdly rock and roll Shakespearean aspect of that because you're like, hey, here are our players. Now let's let's go. And I yeah, think it does yeah, make for faster pacing. Comes the story, yeah. Yeah. But then I mean that's in hindsight, sort of a, uh, I did it only because that's what seemed like the way that would work. I mean, I'm not a writer per se, and all of these stories that are in the book, you know, these are all stories that I, I've told some of them probably hundreds of times in person to people, again, like at the bar after a festival and we're all trading rock and roll war stories. So it, it's very much written like I would tell the stories if if you were here with me. And that, that's why, like, a common reaction from people is, I heard your voice saying everything as I read it. <laughs> uh, and, and that's exactly what I was going for. But again, that's the only way I, I would have known how to, uh, to write it. And uh, just so folks know, you know, some of the chapter titles, well, actually, all the chapter titles give away what this, that chapter is about. Um, but but then it, it gets even crazier afterwards. So some of the chapter titles are um, uh, the time our tour bus ran over a guy on the New Jersey Turnpike, uh, the time I went to the Arctic and got in a mosh pit with a bunch of kids in polar bear fur while Metallica sang about sodomizing a goat. The time I was peed on by a famous rock and roll dog. The time I rained vomit down upon the biggest concert event in history. You know, again, it's it's just all these crazy standalone stories. And, uh, you know, along with the main part of the story, uh, you know, I, I, I think the book gives you a pretty honest understanding of uh, what it's all really like to be back there and to be working at this stuff. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up, like, your writing style because... That's one thing I noticed is it is very fluid and it does seem like we're just hanging out having a beer because you'll be in the middle of the story and you'll be like, oh, hey, by the way, you should probably know that uh, this this dog, it has bad farts too. Okay, but back to the story. Like, you know, yeah, and yeah. <laughs> without it, 
it doesn't take you out of the story, you know, even though you're taking a sidestep, it, it keeps it going. And I think that's, that speaks to good writing. I mean, this, I enjoyed this book. I, I loved it. And oh, part of that you. is, oh, it. thank you very much. And, and so people know the dog, the, 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 the dog references you are making are in fact true and out of the book. Um, that chapter about getting peed on by the dog, if anyone is a fan of the band Starset, they are a favorite group of mine, another band that I helped sort of introduce the, the world to, uh, I will sometimes hop on the road with them and travel with them and, and do their photography and, and that stuff. Um, a few years back, Dustin Bates, their lead singer, adopted a dog, a little French bulldog. His name is Ernie. And uh, when I joined up with them on tour at one point, uh, it was in Milwaukee, uh, right in the dead of winter. Why, why I picked going with them on the road up to, you know, Wisconsin and North Dakota in February when it was like 10 degrees below zero. That was stupid, but it still made for a good story. Anyway, they just got Ernie. And uh, I picked him up when I first got on the bus, and he pissed right down the front of my photographer's vest, which I was going to be wearing for the next three days. But but Ernie and I became good friends after that. And, and the band was trying to sneak him into my bunk uh, at night as we were traveling from city to city. Ernie, as small as he was then, he's, he's bigger now, has the nastiest dog farts. And I mean, they, they, this is, I did not make this up. They, they singed the inside of my nostrils. They burned my nostril hairs. His, 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 his doggy flatulence was so bad. And at this point, he was hardly bigger than the, uh, the palm of your hand. Uh, and he still goes on the road with them when they travel domestically. Uh, and I love to see Ernie. Uh, if, if you hit my social media stuff, uh, it's pretty uh, easy to find pictures of uh, Ernie. And he's, he's a great dog and a good friend. And uh, yeah, I love him. Just so people know, I tend to like dogs and cats better than human beings. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's just the way life is now, I guess. Yeah. And a lot, another one of the stories that I enjoyed the when backstage was what everybody thought it was because you can attest to this i can't tell you how many times after a show it's sit around and watch a baseball game or throw in a movie play a video game like 90 some odd percent of the time and especially and you make the point in the book i think it does have to do more with modern rockers learning from unfortunate losses in the past but most of the time it is just chill i I had a girlfriend one time who we went and saw We the Kings, and she was super excited, and she thought that was a lifestyle. And I was like, "No, no, let's let's go backstage." Uh, and we sat there and we ordered like ice cream and sat there and watched ice cream in a scary movie. And she was like, "But I thought this was rock and roll." So hearing that story, you know, you tell that, and especially with those names and stuff that were there, it was so cool to see that every now and then that that part still comes through you know i don't i don't think it's a sustainable lifestyle but letting people know that this is the exception i think is a good message to have because that way you know people don't i I know people who avoid stuff like that because they are afraid oh it is the den of sin but no this is this is thing so when you talked about that um i think it was really cool to like i said see that dynamic of this isn't how it is most of the time, but it can get crazy sometimes still. Yeah, yeah, and again, um, uh, the, that, that's the chapter from OzFest 2000, Camden, New Jersey, outside of Philly. I was on my, I had finished all my interviews for the day, and I was on my way to watch Ozzy, 
And I, uh, you know, I walk past Antero's dressing room, and again, normally backstage, there's nothing going on. It's just angry tour managers screaming into phones. You know, that that's what backstage really is. Uh, but this one time, and I've seen things like this more than once, but it's not very often. Um, Pantera's dressing room, dozens of people crammed in it, half of them big rock stars from the tour. Everybody was fucked up except Wayne Static and I. Uh, you know, and, and again, at one point, the, the side door to the bathroom opens and there's the naked stripper covered in cocaine, like just what you see in the movies, but it usually never happens in life. And, uh, you know, I do point out, you know, uh, at one point in that story, uh, well, Sully Erna comes over and he, he wanted to pour some Crown Royal down my throat. And I was like, no, nothing, no, I'm good, Sully, I'm good. He goes, ah, Brutus, drive back home to Pussy Town, you know. Uh, and uh, uh, Dime, Dimebag came over at one point and uh, he said, man, hey, Brutus, you okay? Y'all doing okay? You don't look so happy. And I'm like, oh, it's not really my scene. And he goes, uh, you know, he said, don't don't feel embarrassed by it or anything. He said, you'll probably outlive us all. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he wasn't trying to force anything on me. He, I think he was amused that I, I was the only sober person standing in the middle of it all. Um, and uh, I, I left soon after because, you know, I had to drive three hours back home. And uh, I didn't want to start hitting a bottle or black tooth grins or, or anything uh, and drive into a telephone pole. So it, it's it's oddly enough, one of the reasons I think... When I go on the road with bands, as I as I, I often do, where I'll, I'll go out and sort of embed myself with the band and travel on the bus or the plane or in the van with them, um, the girlfriends and wives like it when I'm along because I think a lot of them feel I'm a good influence <laughs> because I you know I drink very rarely I don't do any drugs. Um, I'm not one for strip clubs because to me it's like going to a restaurant where you can't eat the food. So I, when, when I'm on the road with the band, I'm like, hey, fellas, uh, well, let's go to the Museum of Modern Art or let's go to the Civil War battlefield. I take them to nerd things. You know, I, I encourage nerd activities on the road. So, you know, when, when somebody's wife sees me, they're like, oh, Lou isn't going to have a bag of Coke. He's going to make sure that the bands go visit the local lighthouses so he can do photography or, or whatever, whatever the other you know nerd ass stuff is that i suggest but uh yeah that that chapter really um you know it's a fun and it's a funny chapter but it also gets to the heart of the matter that um you know i've seen a lot of really talented people some of whom i was very pretty tight with either die or burn themselves out or not reach their full potential because they were too busy being fucked up um, and that, that makes me really sad. Uh, and again, I don't judge. You can do whatever you want with your life. Um, but, but take it from me firsthand that if you're going to do any drugs, make, make it caffeine. It, when I want to get wired, I drink black coffee and I listen to music and I find that I, I can get a lot more done and not be hung over, yeah. you know? Um, so that's the only bit of maybe preachiness I do in the book. And, and wash your feet. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and just so people know the reference you're, you're uh, uh, making, there is a chapter in the book entitled The Time I Learned the Horrible Truth About Heavy Metal Feet. And it's about, generally it's about how bad rock and roll bands can smell on the road. This is particularly acute when a band is traveling in a van. And you've got like 10 or 12 men and women in a van. 
because that means the band probably does, you know they don't have the money for a tour bus they might not have money for hotels all the time so showers might only happen once a week and laundry might only might happen less than that so people start smelling bad and the specific story is about backstage at rock in the range one year and i i went to hop in the van with one of the guys from the group airborne and the smell was so bad i almost choked to death fell out of the van just to escape chipped my tooth on the way out and we had to finish the the interview outside it was too loud from from all the music going on but i had no choice uh and uh, it was one of the uh, the o'keefe brothers just busting my balls you'd never make it in a rock band mate you know uh but again the, these are the kind of real world things that happen in real life behind the scenes in rock and roll there's not cocaine there's foot odor that's <laughs> truly what what the whole ride is about and so these these are all your stories you know things that you've done i, I want to know how much research did you have to do it in your own stories? Because I was impressed how you just rattled off radio station after radio station. How many times did you have to kind of stop, take a step back and be like, okay, was that 2002 or 2004? Where was I at? You know, filling in the details for the stories. Uh, and that's a really good question. Um, and in the end of the book, there's a post. There's a preface that takes place with my mom and dad. In my my mom and dad passed away years ago, uh, and I miss them terribly. Um, and and the postface also takes place with my mom and dad. And in the postface, my mom, who was an antique book dealer, who would just she'd be so stoked that I have a book out. You have no idea. Um, it makes me so sad she's not here for it. But my mom, even back when I was like 13, 14 years old, was saying, "Son, you're already doing all these great things, and you're meeting all these famous people, and you're." traveling and all these famous events, you need to keep a journal because one day you're going to want to write books. And if you keep a journal and just write a few facts every day about what you did, it will remind you about everything else. And me being the dumbass that I am did not do that. So when it came time to write the book, the, 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 the major part the major part of each narrative of each chapter, because again, each one is a standalone story. So it's not like I'm weaving together chapters into a big narrative. The main parts came okay because, again, I've told these stories out loud to friends, some of them probably hundreds of times. But then when it came to, like, fact check and do all that, yeah, I, I, I had to go back to, there were a number of sources I used. The main ones were, I have kept every bit of memorabilia from every concert I've ever attended. And I've been to over 3,000 shows. I've got over 1,000 posters, most of them signed. Every ticket stub, every sticky pass, every laminate, every food voucher, every wristband. I have stage outfits, autographed guitars, hundreds of set lists. I have, I, I've never counted it all, but it's probably between five and 10,000 pieces of memorabilia from all of these shows. And some of them are extremely famous events. The Freddie Mercury Tribute Show, Live Aid, Live Aid, Live Earth. Metallica and Tuck Tie Up Tuck, Metallica Grimy's Basement. Uh, like I could go on for an hour about that kind of stuff. So I, I started pulling out that stuff, and, and that helped key my memory and also get me facts. Um, sometimes I called people I remembered who were there. Hey, who was it who poured the bottle of Crown Royal? Like whatever it was that I needed to, to fact check, I did it that way. Um, 
some of it is just fact and figure. So, you know, I could, uh, you not, not that I would ch- trust Wikipedia too much for hard facts, because you never, any dumbass can get on there and change something. But, you know, it was easy enough to find, oh, what was the exact date of that show? Or uh, what was the exact date of the kickoff of that tour? So for minor facts like that, I, I, I had to do some research. The rest of it, I pretty much either had in my head or could, or could figure it out pretty easy from... Um, old interviews that I did or other things that I have kept from all my years of, uh, of doing that. Uh, you know, I did my level best. I, I did as best as I could, um, with everything, uh, with everything in the book factually. And, uh, one thing I should say, and I don't, I don't know if this will hurt, um, it's not a crazy tell-all book. Like, I don't dump all over other people. I don't embarrass other people, be they famous or not. Um, I could have probably easily written a book like that. But I didn't want to be a fucking asshole. You know, um, like, I've seen plenty of things. And there's a, there's a bunch of crazy shit in the book. But if anybody looks stupid in the book, it's me. Because I don't mind pointing out the times that I've done stupid shit or, or have been involved in stupid things. Um, but I, I, I didn't do a, a, a point ever in the book where it trashed anybody or, or didn't put anything out there that they would not want, you know. Um, just because I, I didn't want to be that guy, you know. I could, I could write an equally great book that's fun and funny and informative and brings you behind the scenes, but I could still do it without breaking up anybody's marriage, you know? Right. You know, even in that intro part, when you're talking about the different roles, you know, there's times you're like, this guy's a dick, but he's a hardworking dick. You, you know, you kind of, you play it fair, which, which I appreciated, you know? Yeah, I, you know, it, it's, it's just, I, I don't know how to put it. Just tell the fucking truth. You know, don't, don't lie or, or, or don't, don't make people look bad for the sake of making them look bad. Um, there's one thing that I, I think I say somewhere along the line in the book, often when I, I talk to media people or people who are brand new to radio where I've worked for a long time, you know, they'll ask, oh man, how do you get to do all the stuff you do? You know, I see uh, with Metallica hosting the stadium event at Facebook Live, and I saw you on the road with Slipknot, and I saw you in London with the Rolling Stones, and I saw this and that. How do you get, what's the secret? What's your secret? And I'm like, there is no secret. Um, I've always tried my, uh, again, my level best to work as hard as I could to be honest with people and to treat everybody respectfully. And that's not just the people in the bands. I treat, listen, I treat anybody I meet in life. I try and treat everybody well. I try and be funny and, 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 um, um, good natured around people. You know, some people are jerk offs. Uh, and sometimes I have bad days, but for the most part, I always do my best to be good to people. And it's, it's especially important in any business, uh, but but I think in rock and roll, which you know, it's not nearly as big as you think. There's it's spread out all over the place, but there's really not that many people who work in it, and your reputation can be very precious. And I always tell people, listen, you be nice and respectful to everybody you meet, from the lead singer of the the, the main band to the the waiters and waitresses and bartenders and the janitors who work at the venue that you're going to. Everybody deserves to be treated with respect. Um, and, uh, you know, 
I've had all sorts of jobs. Uh, if I wanted anything when I was a kid, my family didn't have a lot of money. So I've had multiple jobs since I was 12. And I was a cook's assistant in a nursing home and a busboy in a New Jersey diner that was frequented by mobsters. Like, I, you know, I had all sorts of jobs. Uh, I respect anybody who works for a living. Uh, and, and the other thing to remember um, is when you meet people any people who are involved in a rock and roll show, they could be in catering, they could be in security, they could be groupies. Everyone has the interesting stuff that they know. And if you keep your mouth shut and you're nice to people, you could learn a lot of stuff. Um, sometimes, and I point this out in the book, some of the, the, the best informed people on a tour are the groupies. And a lot of people, they, they look down their noses at groupies or they think that they're all sleazy or they're stupid, and that's not true. Some groupies are, are super professional, mostly women, sometimes it's guys, uh, but, but they're, they're super smart, super intelligent professionals. And, and if they get their rocks off hanging out with rock bands, Good for them. Who the fuck am I to judge? And sometimes they know what's going on in the tour more so than anybody else. And you can glean a lot of information from them just because, you know, I'm nice. And you know, a lot of people know who I am. So they'll kind of, hey, it's Lou. And they'll, they'll start to chat with me and stuff. Um, it, 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 it pays off in a million ways just being nice and respectful to people. And that's the only, you know, when people ask about a secret, that's the only secret. Other than that, show up on time and don't get wasted. And, and be nice to everybody. That There it is. There's there's the rules of the fucking road. Yeah. And that applies to any industry, I feel I like. To anything. To anything. <laughs> but it, it's especially good in rock and roll where sometimes people can be a little crazy or mostly what it is, uh, particularly with tour personnel, they're they're underrested, they're underpaid, they're overstressed, uh, and and sometimes you have to remember. Sometimes people are just having a bad day. You got to let it roll off, and uh, you know, still, I mean, listen. I sometimes I meet people and they're total dicks, uh, but it doesn't happen nearly as often as you think it would. It, it really happens quite a small amount of times because if you're a total asshole, nobody's going to want to work with you. So. Um, uh, so often those folks get weeded out from the, uh, from the business. Yeah. I want to circle back around to your collection. I'm, my wife would say a hoarder. I'd say I'm a collector and I'm the same way. I keep movie ticket stubs, concert ticket stubs. I want to ask your opinion on the trend to digital. You know, you don't have ticket stubs all the time for concerts or movies now and, it drives me insane, personally. I, I, it's funny you mention this. I just did a rant on the show, I think it was this week, uh, about the modernization and the move to e-tickets. And I don't care. I want a physical ticket. And uh, I, I am a Luddite in that respect. And I'm going to lose that battle, and eventually it's all going to be on your phones, or you're going to have a chip implanted in your head, and they're going to scale. Like, I mean, it's eventually that kind of shit's going to happen. But um, I, I, you know, the day will come in the not too distant future where there's just not going to be tickets. Something else to think about too at this point is, gee, do the physical tickets make it easier for things like? a virus to move around if people are handling the ticket. So this will just give them more excuse 
to eliminate physical tickets because it's a money saver for them as well. Mm. Um, and it also cuts back on bootlegging or copying and all that shit. So yeah, we're, we're definitely going to see the end of, uh, physical tickets and it's a sad, sad thing. I mean, uh, I go in the opening chapter, uh, the time I attended my first concert and threw up on Carlos Sanchez. Uh, I, I talk about the ticket stub from that night, black Sabbath, Ted Nugent, Madison square garden. And back in those days, at least at the garden where I, I went to my first couple of concerts, the other one being uh, kiss on the rock and roll over tour, uh, they gave you the short end of the, of the ticket stub. So you didn't sometimes get the name of the band on there, but even with this stub, I would recognize it anywhere. Uh, and I talk about my exact seat and row and the color of the seat and how I puked all over it later, <laughs> you know, in the show. And, uh, uh, yeah. Um, but, um, I keep all of that stuff. Uh, if you're wondering about ways to help keep those things well, I would suggest getting big loose leaf binders, the great big huge ones. And then if you go to sites that sell like, well, you can get them at Amazon, but like baseball cards, what you want is they, they make plastic pages with pockets. And for baseball cards, I think they're generally like nine or 12 pockets, you know, each one big enough for a baseball card. Those are good for smaller stubs, but they sell the same thing. They're the same size page, but with less pockets that are bigger, you can buy a ton of those to slip your ticket stubs or passes into. I also know a lot of people, along with everything else I have, I don't know, maybe over a thousand guitar picks. Uh, a lot of people use, you know, those uh, white cardboard sleeves with a, a, a plastic window in the middle for coins, people use those for guitar picks, and those are a great way to keep them safe, display them, you know, same thing, you, you buy coin pages to fit those into the slots, and it's a great way of having your, your ticket stubs or your guitar picks or your backstage passes kind of like in book form. Um, when I first reached out looking for a lit agent because you can't get a book deal unless you have a literary agent because the publishers don't want to hear from authors they they want they want agents to sort of narrow down the field and find the good stuff so uh the first guy approached you know we signed a deal he immediately kind of scooped me up and uh, i said well gee the, the first book i want to do is of all my memorabilia because i've got all this great stuff i want to do a coffee table book zillions of posters and autographs and blah 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 and my, my lit agent said, well, you know what? That'll eventually make a great book. But what you want to do first is do your book of crazy rock and roll stories. He said, you need to establish a track record that you can sell books. And he said, that book, I'm guaranteeing you, is going to be a hit. He said, a book of, of illustrations of all your memorabilia is a cool idea, but it's very expensive. It's very expensive to produce because it's a larger size book. All the ink is color. It, 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 it's a lot more expensive than a regular, like I've put out this time, the, the memoir. He said, put out, you know, one or two memoir books. You've got enough for two or three great memoirs. And then, you know, we approach them about doing the book of all your, your memorabilia. So, so maybe that'll be something down the line. And I, I've had a lot of people asking for a book of my photography. Uh, maybe eventually I'll get around to that. But I've shot, you know, hundreds of rock bands. I've been an on-field major league baseball photographer for over a decade. I shoot astrophotography. I shoot lighthouses. I don't know that I would put all that shit in one book. Maybe it'd just be rock and roll based, but we'll see. 
That was actually, I was going to ask about the lighthouse and the baseball stuff, but because, uh, you know, those would be a good coffee table book as well. I, I think, I mean, I would read it or look at it, I guess. There probably wouldn't be a whole lot of words, but it would be pretty neat to see. On your book, though, on Sonic Warrior, narrowing down these stories, you know, you talked about how you had trouble narrowing down did you do all that by yourself or did you run that like by your lit agent or by Corey or someone else like okay which of these stories do you think would go best or was that all on you you know i it was pretty much all me but for the most part I knew what stories people liked the most because, like I've said before, I've, I've told these stories a gazillion times, and there are some that people, you know, oh, you got to tell a story about, you know, going to the Arctic with Metallica, or you got to tell the story about going bowling with Gene Simmons, or you got to tell this story or that story. You know, there, there. When time came to finish the book, and they were like, okay, you're done. Whatever else you got left, put it in the next book. We need this. And I, there were probably a few chapters that I really should have put into this first book, but I didn't. Um, the, the one chapter that comes to mind, the chapter title is, and this might be the most unbelievable chapter title ever written, but the time I turned down a private lunch with Pope John Paul II to spend time with Ozzy Osbourne. And uh, it, it's an honest-to-God true story. My uh, my cousin Tommy, who actually gets referenced in the book a couple of times, uh, just because he was around for a couple of the stories, um, my cousin Tommy is plugged in at the highest levels human beings have on this planet. And he's a great guy, and he's, he's a great friend, besides being my cousin. Uh, anyway, he called me up once and said, Lou, I got a surprise for you. I'm flying you to Rome next week. Guess what? I am going to take you to a private lunch with His Holiness Pope John Paul II. And I said, Tommy, I can't go. I gotta be in Texas next that, that weekend with Ozzy Osbourne. And my cousin almost dropped the phone. He's like, you can't turn down Pope John Paul II for Ozzy Osbourne. Like, you'll go to hell. Like, you know, literally they'll send you to hell for this. I'm like, dude, I, I can't get Ozzy any other time. He's only gonna do the press with me at, at the beginning of the tour, I gotta go. Uh, and uh, years later, I was just to sort of bring the story. The story, the chapter would end up being a lot longer. But um, uh, years later, I was walking down on the field before the game. I was going to shoot a Washington Nationals game in D.C. And my, I see my cousin on the field at batting practice, and he, he's friends with some of the Washington Nationals. And my cousin is talking to a priest. And the, the priest was there. He, he was going to, I guess, give the blessing in the clubhouse before the game. And uh, my cousin turns and sees me and goes, oh, my God. Hey, Father, you got to meet. This is my cousin I told you about. This is my cousin Lou who's on the radio. And the priest, his jaw, like, drops to, to the ground. And he goes, I thought you were kidding about this guy. He really exists. Did he really? And, and my cousin nodded his head. And the priest looks at me and goes, you turned down lunch with His Holiness John Paul II for Ozzy Osbourne? And I said, honest to God, truth, Father. And the priest backed away from me, and he was making crosses in the air <laughs> over my face as he backed away. If he had had holy water, I'm sure he would have, like, performed an exorcism on me or something. But uh, And I never, I, I never 
got out to, to meet Pope John Paul II, who was a pretty fascinating guy, and I would have really liked to have met. Uh, but I, uh, I I totally fucked that up, and uh, you know, in favor of Ozzy Osbourne. So we'll see how I do in the afterlife. I'm I'm sure it won't help though. There's wanted posters of you in like every diocese in the world. They're like this man. <laughs> oh yeah, I, you know, and, and people still, you know, when I tell the story, they they think. The thing with some of these stories, like at first people think like I'd be kidding, and I'm like, no, seriously, our, our bus ran over a guy in the New Jersey Turnpike. Like I'm not fucking around. Uh, but for all of them, you know, they, you know, that's the thing with these stories. You know, there there are people there for all of them. There's people in the, the industry, people or other band people. It's like it all happened. You know, like some of it might seem pretty nuts, but um, you know, it's all there. So. Uh, yeah, again, I'm just glad people are getting a kick out of it, and uh, it's been fun to tell the stories and write them down. I certainly believe I have enough for a really solid second book, um, maybe a third one. I'd rather do one other, maybe one more book that that's just as good as this first one, and then after that, maybe I'll move on to uh, you know, like the book of memorabilia or photography book or something like that if I'm lucky enough to be asked. Yeah. Well, the book is Sonic Warrior. Uh, Lou, where all can people find it out there? Folks can get it anywhere they can get books. And allow me to preface this by saying my preference would be for you to buy from a local bookstore. Because if we do not support local bookstores, particularly when the coast is clear from the virus and the, the social distancing, you know, it, it's going to be tough for all businesses, but in particular bookstores. So please, I don't want uh, bookstores to go the way of music stores, so go out and support them. That being said, bookstores might not be open near you. So you can get the book from Amazon, you can get it from Barnes and Noble, you can get it from bookshop.org. And bookshop.org actually is uh, an online confederation of independent uh, bookstores. That's a good place to order from. You can also get the ebook version, Kindle and any other ebook platforms. You can get Sonic Warrior in that. And finally, I have narrated the audiobook myself, and it's seven to seven and a half hours. And again, all these crazy, fucked up stories from my career. And you can get Sonic Warrior audiobook from Audible, from. Um, Google Play, from iTunes, wherever else you get uh, audiobooks. And uh, I know a lot of people who got both, and they read, al they, they read along as I do the, the, the read myself out loud, and, uh, you know, people are getting a blast out of it. And, uh, th and that makes me feel good, so I, I heartily encourage everybody to pick it up. Uh, if you get a physical copy, take a picture of yourself with it and tag me on it when you post it. Uh, and uh, just get out there and... Uh, support all these great bands and all of this great music it's going to be a tough time i think for the next 18 to 24 months i'm going to guess um but you know we'll pull through we're all going to get through this i i think i hope i have every confidence um but it's it you know it's a bit of a tough situation right now particularly in the entertainment world so uh you know i, I send my best out to everybody no matter what they do uh, and uh, uh, please don't get too down or too depressed or too angry. Uh, I go through those phases myself each day. But you know what, Will? We've gone through things like this. You know, we've gone through bad things before. We'll get through this uh, just just like everything else. I, I agree, yeah. And, and I think music and creativity, books, 
art, all of it is going to be what gets us through. And your book is kind of all that wrapped into one. So people should definitely go check it out. Well, I appreciate it. And again, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think even for just the few days it's officially been out, I've, I've heard a, a, a titanic amount of feedback from people and the book just seems to be striking the right note with them. A, a book of this tone, it's just goofy and fun and rock and roll. Uh, maybe this is a, a really excellent time for it to come out, you know. Um, uh, I hope that's the case. I, I just hope it gives people a break and makes them happy and reminds them why we all love music in the first place. Yeah, I, it, it definitely inspired me and got me going. And so I'd love to hear what everybody thinks about it. If you read it, let us know. Uh, let us know in comments below here on SoundCloud or hit us up on social media. Uh, Lou, you mentioned your social media. Where can they find you on social media? Um, they're all verified pages. Should be easy enough to find Facebook.com slash Lou Brutus Rocks, at Lou Brutus on Twitter, at Lou Brutus on Instagram. Uh, I also have a, a fairly involved website, LouBrutus.com. You can get book information. You can get also get all my career information. There are also probably 500 to 1,000 photographs that I've shot in the images section. Um, so there's a ton of stuff on there. So if you're home and you're cooped up and you're bored, LouBrutus.com. And from that, you can learn about uh, anything I'm, I'm doing now or have done in the past or hope to do in the future. Very nice, very nice. Wow. So there you have it. There it was, my interview with Lou Brutus himself. It was amazing and wonderful, and I had a blast doing it. We talked music off mic a little bit and comics and stuff, and we could have done it all day. Like I said, super nice guy. Make sure you go pick up Sonic Warrior. It's a wonderful book. You're going to love it. You can even get it on ebook, Kindle, and stuff like that, or audiobook. And Lou reads it like he talked about so get it any way you can legally pay for it and stuff check it out it's really good i want to thank all of you for listening i want to thank everybody that helped make this show possible um amy over at adam splitter was really great getting this put together real quick and of course lou for being on the show and talking about everything and all you music fans out there for letting us tell these stories. It's been great. Again, my name is Lance. This has been The Night Nerd, and we will see you next time.